You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to First Bite, the Pride of Detroit preview podcast for your Detroit Lions. We're the SB Nation blog. For those Detroit Lions in our First Bite podcast, previews the upcoming matchup. We like to get the opponent's point of view and, and kind of get a little deeper into what they're all about. And this week, it's the Philadelphia Eagles, a f- somewhat familiar opponent. We see them about every four years or so. And uh, it's been about that long, I think, since the last time we played them. So... Let's check in on them. But before we do that, let me introduce myself. I'm Jeremy Reisman, the managing editor of prideofdetroit.com. You can find me at Detroit Online on Twitter with me, my partner in crime. I wouldn't say he's he's always here, but he's always here in spirit, at least. Ryan Matthews is with us. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Even though I'm here in spirit, I have a corporeal body, but I'm so <laughs> ready for another first bite. It's my first one of the season. It is. That's right. It is, but I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> That's at Ryan underscore POD on Twitter. And giving us the Eagles point of view this week is Michael Kiss from Bleeding Green Nation. Michael, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing fantastic. Football season is in full swing. Nothing but constant film study and analytics and just drinking through a fire hose with a straw. It's a great time. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing better. Nothing better. Um, let, let's get right into your Eagles here because they're they're one and one, uh, same amount of wins as the Lions, one more loss, and a technicality here. But uh, I want to start with the off season. Um, kind of an interesting, I would say, uh, understated off season. I'm not sure if that's fair or not. Um, only had five draft picks. Um, their big free agent signing Malik Jackson's already on IR. Um, tell me about the the major moves in in the off season for Eagles and and. Whether you thought, I mean, if you could give it a grade so far two weeks in, maybe that's not fair, but <laughs> what what are your thoughts on their offseason overall? It would definitely be an incomplete grade, but, you know, I would, I would <laughs> sure. go with a B. You know, since the since the whole Dream Team experiment, like you kind of alluded to, they they really haven't, Howie Roseman has in any way, like made really big splashes. He's always involved in all these trade talks and these big signings and everything like that. But their philosophy is, has been, you know, take on contracts that are manageable, make smart moves, make prudent moves, uh, extend people that are in-house rather than going for big-time free agents outside. But if you get a value in a guy like, let's say, Emily Jackson, who is now out for the season, yay. Uh, but still, I thought it was a good signing to add to the pass rush on the interior. Then you go ahead and make that move to where their evaluation matches the valuation, which it didn't for him when he was in Jacksonville, but the contract in Philly made a lot of sense. I mean, the same thing for Deshaun Jackson. They were looking for someone to take the top off of defenses. Uh, they were able to swap him for late-round picks and you know get a manageable contract in there. So it was nothing too splashy. I, I, I never bought the Antonio Brown rumors, the Le'Veon 
Bell rumors or anything to that effect, even though the Eagles are always calling around. But uh, just like you said, kind of understated moves, but they're really good at just kind of filling out their roster. And as you saw in the Falcons game, and I'm sure we'll, we'll get into this, but as you saw, like the depth that they have, they're capable of taking a lot of losses along that roster and still being competitive. You saw it last year when, you know, according to football outsiders, they were 31st in the league for adjusted games loss, and they were the most banged up team since they started tracking that metric in about a decade uh, to <laughs> win a playoff game. So their coaching staff, their, the talent that they have on the roster are well capable of dealing with those injuries because of the way that they deal with free agency, that they deal with the draft and the forward thinking, you know, we're going to draft JGR Sega Whiteside to, to kind of get ahead of the wide receiver need later on when Alshon Jeffrey's contract two or three years down the line runs out, or maybe it's more manageable to get out of that contract. And, you know, we're going to get a running back on the cheap instead of paying big time by drafting one instead of signing Le'Veon Bell. So understated moves, but solid ones that fill out the roster. Yeah, and kind of going along with that, I mean, you didn't even mention your first-round pick, Andre Dillard, a guy that <laughs> hasn't played a single game, probably won't Oof. this entire year unless, uh, you know, bad things happen. Um, what would you make of that pick? Did it surprise you at the time? I think it surprised me only in the way that I don't think anybody thought Dillard was going to be there. I mean, all mm-hmm. of the mock drafts and everything like that, that we hear at Bleeding Green Nation did, and that you see nationwide, like Dillard was going like top 10. You've got Daniel Jeremiah saying he's the best pass protector in the block, uh, in the draft. And if that's true, then he shouldn't last that long. And right. somehow he did. And somehow the Eagles were able to leapfrog the Texans, which led to some hilarious consequences for them throughout the entire offseason. And, you know, that's a whole different story. But like I said, that forward forward thinking mentality. Yes, we have Peters in the building. Yes, his backup is swing tackle, Halapuli Vati Vaitai. But if we can get ahead of the curve on this and we can, you know, kind of develop this guy who still needs work in the run game with because, you know, in Washington State, Mike Leach, he really doesn't like to run the ball. So didn't have a whole lot of experience there. But if we can develop him with a fantastic offensive line coach like Jeff Stoutland, we can get a year ahead of it. Then, you know, by the time maybe maybe Jason Peters goes down later in the year. But Dillard's still going to be ready there to step in at one of the most important positions on the offense. So, yeah, very forward thinking. It only cost him like a fourth to move up, a fourth and a six, which is like nothing. So, yeah, I love the move. I thought it was I thought it was one of the best moves of the offseason. Yeah. And then on top of that, the Eagles then went out in the draft and they got a couple of big time playmakers that were looking like they were going to factor into the Eagles plans on offense. But now they might have to take uh, uh, they might have to take a little bit of a bigger role than they anticipated in terms of like doing it so soon in their yeah. careers. Um, I mean, Eagles are dealing with a ton, ton of injuries this week. Uh, and, and we'll get into that a little bit later, but talk about what's going on uh, in the running game for the Eagles right now, because we're very familiar with Jordan Howard, ex Chicago player, ex ex player within the division, but they also drafted Miles Sanders. They have one of my favorite players, Darren Sproles, but talk a little bit about the, the, I mean, you talk a little bit about the, the depth with, with Dillard and things like that, but the Eagles are going to have to tap into some of this, uh, some of this depth with, with the injuries that they have. So can, can they, can they rely on that? Can they get by with, with that depth? Can they compete? Yeah, I, I think it's interesting, and I, I don't think the game against the Falcons was indicative of what this team is about because those injuries came so late in the process for them. Some of them the very early portions of the first quarter, some of them in the pregame warmups. In the case of Dallas Goddard, so they had to rip up like a, a whole piece of their menu, which was twelve personnel play action, and that really kind of took some of the starch out of the offense. And then you're also trying to rely on a guy like Miles Sanders, who a lot of people liked. I was a little bit down on that pick. I, I didn't love the value. I didn't necessarily love the player the athleticism 
is certainly there, but I think he's a bit of an undisciplined runner, and I think that has shown itself in the first couple of games. But that's going to be something where he needs the experience, he needs the game to slow down for him, and he needs to learn what is going to work when you're trying to get the edge against a Wisconsin linebacker versus a linebacker like a Deion Jones. So there's there's a big difference there for him and a learning curve that has to take place, and that's only going to take place through experience, which he's going to get in this rotation. He's starting to get the, the bulk of the carries there. Uh, still, there's a lot of things for him to work on. I thought his pass pro in college was bad. We're seeing some development there as far as just from a mental processing standpoint. He's still got a ways to go in as far as the technique to where we can trust him to be that third down back, which is where Sproles will come in a lot and he's really steady, Eddie, dependable, uh, not as explosive as he used to be. And then Jordan Howard is just kind of like you get he's going to get what you block for type of guy and, and not much more. So kind of unexciting in the backfield right now, which is fine. The running game has not worked. Uh, so hopefully that can change soon, but Detroit has a tough interior, which we'll talk about. And as far as JJ Arcego, Whiteside's development, I mean, Howie Roseman said it himself, wide receivers, one of the more, it takes longer for those guys to develop. So there was a plan in place for, for JJ and now they have to kind of accelerate that. And the chemistry between him and Wentz, it was a against the Falcons you know there was a time where he went to throw a quick throw to our thick white side and and he wasn't even looking and Carson's looking at him he's pointing to his eyes going, give me your eyes you got to give me your eyes on that so building that rapport is going to be a big thing for them and getting them acclimated in the system they don't have too many reps together but I, I really liked J-Jaw coming out I think he could be he can be a dangerous piece of the offense but it it just might take a while so we're going to see how these young pieces start to play out I think that's part of the reason why they went the walkthrough route today or, or on Wednesday, not sure when this is dropping, but on Wednesday, because a lot of those young guys would be on the scout team and they're going to be starting on Sunday. So it's, it's going to be a little bit of a learning curve for them. That leads us nicely into our injury report. Uh, I know it is only Wednesday when we're recording, as you mentioned, um, the, the Eagles dropped their injury report with 13 guys on it, and I believe six of which didn't practice, which this is kind of an estimated injury report because, as you mentioned, this was just a walkthrough for them just so that everyone can kind of get a, get a mental day in while their, their bodies recover. Um, I think that the headlining injuries here are Deshaun Jackson and Alshon Jeffrey, both who did not practice. Um, what's I know it's early in the week, but what's the prognosis on those two? Do you expect either to play this week? I would say 95% that they're not playing. And then I would put it at like probably 80% that they're not playing in the Thursday game because the Eagles do have right. a quick turnaround. It's Sunday, right. then Thursday, and they're playing the Packers and the Packers took a walk, walk through day to day as well, kind of for the same reason. So I could see them definitely not playing on Sunday. If they did, I, I think, I, I don't think there's any need to rush those guys back, even though they're, you know, wide receiver one, wide receiver two, they're big losses, but you don't want to lose them for longer than you need to. So those two are definitely big. I don't expect them to see the, see them on the field on Sunday. Do you do you think there's any chance that the coaching staff holds some of these guys out because of the quick turnaround because they want them ready by Thursday and they think you know pushing them into a Sunday game might might set them back. That might be the case with Dallas Goddard, who's kind of been dealing with a calf and he did not participate on Wednesday. And he's been kind of dealing with that calf since preseason. And I guess it bugged him in the last game and then it flared up on him in the uh, in the pregame warm up. And the, the dangerous thing with that is you don't want that thing to pop because then you're dealing with a much bigger injury. So he might play Thursday. If out of those three, I would say he has the biggest chance to play Thursday. I doubt he plays Sunday. So that would be one. 
Am I, am I correct in hearing that Zach Ertz played 100% of the snaps on Sunday night because of that late injury to Dale Scottert? They ran 11 personnel 100% of the time, and oh Zach Ertz had to play every snap because the Eagles at the time were only carrying two tight ends. That's what I mean when they had to take the whole yeah. you know, 12 person personnel menu. They had to scratch it out, rip it off. Uh, but yeah, that's that's exactly why. And then again, they're thin at wide receivers. Those two guys couldn't go. So Zach Ertz really was in a position where he had to play 100%. Mm-hmm. Michael, if you could give us a couple names that you think that the Eagles need to see out there on Sunday in order to not just have like a chance to win, but to, to be competitive and, and to keep keep themselves in the talk about about coming out with a with a win on, on Sunday. Like what are a couple of names that you 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 need to see on the field? As far as the guys from the injury report, from the I injury would, report, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, anytime you see Fletcher Cox on the injury report, you always kind of worry, but he has been dealing with the toe for a little bit now, and it hasn't taken too much from him. So, if Fletcher Cox isn't in there with the injuries that they already have on the interior defensive line, Timmy Jernigan broke his foot, uh, Malik Jackson needs Liz Frank surgery or had Liz Frank surgery and all that, then you're dealing with after him. Hassan Ridgeway, the 24-year-old that they swapped late-round picks for, and I don't, I don't, I'm not even sure who the backups are behind him. So Cox has to play. Uh, and then from the injury report, I really want to see linebacker Camus Grugier Hill come back because he had a fantastic training camp. He had a fantastic preseason before he went down with a knee injury. The Eagles have gotten really poor linebacker play from Nate Gary, Zach Brown, and Nigel Bradham, surprisingly, in the first two games of the week. And I think he can be the coverage guy because he's a converted safety um he can be the coverage guy that they need in some of those long third down situations where they like to go big dime if he could take over that role as the coverage backer there uh then i think it's a big win for them uh we mentioned tim jernigan really quick there um obviously broken foot not expected to play this week um eagles have been one of the best run defenses in the league through two games is he a big part of that and and how are they going to respond with him not in this game yeah, I mean, I think it has a lot to, lot to do with the scheme, and they're always stacked in the front. We saw it in the preseason when the second and third units were out there. The Eagles' defensive line was just absolutely eating. And Derek Barnett is really good good against the run. Brandon Graham is really good against the run. And even with the linebacker struggles, their linebackers are very good against the run, too. So there's a part of it with, with Timmy Jernigan there. He's a disruptive guy, and that really helps everything else because it kind of redirects the play. His first step is fantastic. Uh, what we kind of saw in Hassan Ridgeway, who came in and replaced him was a a very good first step as well that can be disruptive not only in the run game but in the pass game so if you're looking for a replacement that can kind of give you that same type of thing because the eagles want to get upfield and attack so that's kind of what they need to be that dominant run defense and you're hoping ridgeway can give you at least 80 percent of what jernigan was giving you so he's definitely an important piece there all right, I think that's a, that's a good recap of the injury report. There's some more guys on there, but those are kind of the main guys. So we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk matchups. We're going to talk about some of the guys that will play in this game and how they match up against some of the Detroit Lions players. So stick with us. We'll be right back. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. 
you can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. And we're back with Pride of Detroit's First Bite podcast where we preview the upcoming Detroit Lions game. This week, it's the Eagles. And to help us break that down is Michael Kiss from Bleeding Green Nation. It's time to talk some matchups because I think there are some intriguing ones in this game like there are every week. But uh, I think I want to start with the Lions on offense because we mentioned a little bit about that tough uh, Eagles front, uh, though they're a little bit bad, batted up in this game. Uh, we know Jim Schwartz pretty uh, familiar, pretty familiar with his defensive scheme and how aggressive they are. Um, Michael, why don't you go into maybe some key players in this matchup, especially when it comes to pass protection, because that's something that Lions fans are obviously a little bit concerned about, even though they're coming off a game, which they, they somehow managed to keep uh, Matthew Stafford clean against two of the best pass rushers in the league. Yeah, I think on the right side, you're really looking at Brandon Graham and then uh, whoever is playing next to him going up against Graham Glasgow. And I believe it's Rick Wagner is the right tackle, yep. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so that, that that would be the matchups that I'm looking for. And with the Eagles so depleted in the interior of the defense, what I expect to see from Schwartz and kind of what we've seen from the past is I'm just going to get the best four pass rushers that I have onto the field in passing situations. I don't care what their designation is. And I think that with the success that they've had with Brandon Graham kicking in before, they're going to do that in this game and they're going to get them one-on-one with Glasgow. And then even, you know, you're looking at Frank Ragnow, who I think is really excellent in the run game, but can get beat with his over-aggressiveness as a pass protector. So I think those are the, the big ones for me because Fletcher Cox can beat you really, really quick if you're too aggressive against them. Ragnow's kind of got to let him, that's a scary proposition, by the way, let Fletcher Cox come to you. That's not like <laughs> natural, right? You know. Um, yeah. So I would say from center to right would be the biggest issue. Uh, Derek Barnett's looked really good, uh, but hasn't really converted much into sacks or you know strip sacks or anything like that. And I think Derek is a, is a decent left tackle, so I'm not too worried there. But that, I, I would kind of highlight that center to right tackle and look for Graham to be kicked in for them to find an advantage there. For for the most part, does Graham stay on the on the offense's right side there? Or does he move all around? They they move him around, but they also had some injuries with Barnett last year. Typically, he's going to be lined up over that right tackle. Gotcha. And then on the other side of that line, <clears throat> Josh Sweat. Can you talk a little bit about him because he was a player that no pun intended that a lot of lions fans were kind of sweating over <laughs> uh, when it came draft season. So like I- I've seen some things in terms of him being impressive, but let's get like an Eagles perspective on it. Yeah. He had his bat, uh, his best pass rush uh, on Sunday against the Falcons where he was able to really get a, a nice jump off the snap, good burst with his first step and then turn the corner nearly had a strip sack there. Uh, also made up a, a couple of pretty sound run, run defending reps uh, for him in that game as well. And it, it's a guy that we really haven't seen a whole lot of, but I think he was also part of the reason that they couldn't promise Chris Long some of the reps that he wanted that would incentivize him coming back for another year. 
years. So they really like him there. Uh, a lot of people thought that Deshaun Hall, the other defensive end, outplayed him in the preseason, but apparently the coaches are really high on sweat. Um, obviously, you know, he fell into dra- in the draft because of the bone on bone issue in his knee or, or whatever it was, but he's looking promising and he's looking decent. And, and I think he's got a chance along, you know, to kind of challenge Vinnie mm-hmm. Curry for the defensive end three snaps. So he's looking pretty decent. Let's move to stay on the defensive side of the ball for the Eagles. Let's move to the secondary because in my uh, scouting report, I listed their secondary as, as their their biggest, the team's biggest weakness, which I'm not sure if you'll agree with or not, but obviously they, they've had some issues at cornerback. Um, Ronald Darby coming off that ACL hasn't looked like himself so far this year. They have Malcolm Jenkins, obviously at, at safety, who's who's a beast, but um, they've also switched out the their number two corner uh, from week one to week two. So, Tell me, tell me about the secondary. Am I right in saying there's a weakness there? Yeah, I, I would say, and I think it's the most important weakness. Like I've said, they haven't had good linebacker play, but I said I would say the most important weakness so far has been the cornerbacks just getting beat. And I don't think they're necessarily switching the corners as far as like we're benching this guy for this other guy. A lot of it has to do with the fact that Avante Maddox spells certain guys and Sidney Jones spells certain guys, so they kind of rotate in and out, which is which is weird and not necessarily matchup based, which is kind of what I was thinking coming into the season because they were kind of doing that all training camp too. Uh, but yeah, I would say the inex- experience uh there with with jones and and rasul just like trying to get trying to prove what they are and trying to prove to the eagles why they were drafted as highly as they were like this is their year to show like hey i'm the guy that you can stick on the outside and really stick with these guys i thought sydney jones had a really good bounce back week after Mm -hmm. week one um and i'm a big fan of his so i like him rasul will get beat but rasul also has fantastic ball skills so he's going to give up a bunch of yards sometimes but he's also going to intercept the ball and that's something that darby doesn't do except for the one that fell in his bread basket last week he's just got some terrible hands Uh, but darby has had issues keeping uh things in front of him and staying on top of routes Uh, i'm not sure if it's because of the acl and he's not back to full speed schwartz says he is i don't know if i believe him um but yeah i would say the corner is getting beat on post and go routes and things of that nature has been a real issue for them. Is there a certain kind of receiver that they struggle with? And maybe if you see a guy in the Lions roster that might give them trouble in particular, uh, is, is there one there? I think the the strength, the play strength of, of guys like Kenny Galladay, especially, and then and then Marvin Jones, how good they are in the air. I think that's going to give them some issues because I mentioned the ball skills of Darby. He's also not the biggest guy. Sidney Jones is a smaller cornerback as well. I would trust Rasul going up in the air against those two uh, more than more than Darby and Jones. But I think their play strength, you know, at the catch point is really going to give them some issues. Can we flip over to the offensive side of the ball for the Eagles, Jeremy? Are Let's we good do to do that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's just start with maybe the most important guy on the Eagles offense. I think it's the person that everybody wants to talk about, Carson Wentz. If you watch Sunday night's game against Atlanta, it seemed like protection was an issue. I mean, Wentz was under fire an awful lot in that game, took an awful lot of hits, took, took a beating. We saw some Josh McCown. We've seen Josh McCown in Detroit before, but as a wide receiver. So (laughs) tell me a little bit about Carson Wentz in terms of, you know, there's been this transitionary period from Foles to Wentz and whether or not we we think that that's going to be the, the direction that the Eagles need to head in in order to be successful as a football team. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm a big Wentz guy, and, and I think a lot of the early first half struggles had to do with throwing out half the playbook, half the game plan, and then also I thought he was hurt, man. I thought he, I thought he was, I thought he was banged. I was worried about his ribs when he yeah. when he took that hit. Yeah. He says he just got the the wind knocked out of him, but like after that, like his footwork looked choppy. Like I think something was in his head. Like, am I really hurt? And it turns out, at least from what we hear, who knows uh, that that he wasn't. And then the thing with McCown coming in was they were late to in initiate the concussion protocol uh so they had to check him out after that otherwise Wentz would have would have gone in he was totally fine and he talked about after the game that he was frustrated with it so that was kind of part of that it was a really weird first half of them uh and then the second half heroics which were for not because the 54 yard touchdown for julio zach Ertz running short of the sticks uh nelson aguilar dropping a sure go-ahead touchdown like there was a lot of things that went into that loss but then you know he had things go his way too. the fourth and 14 bond that aguilar came down with was super bizarre but uh I think yeah. he kind of recovered well. The pass well. from his he, knees too. The pass from his <laughs> knees. Yeah, yeah. That way, I mean, that's that's just once he's he's crazy and he's kind of live by the sword, die by the sword. And sometimes you wish you would let the offense come to him and not take so many shots because he will step into the throw. Uh, there was a throw that Matt Ryan missed on a blitz that he kind of faded off from. Wentz would have taken that shot and and thrown it in there and you know it might have overthrown it but he still would have taken the shot going for the touchdown so some of that mentality is good some of it's bad i mean that's that's just kind of who Wentz is but i think he's when he's at the top of his game he's a very very good quarterback and i don't think the eagles have any regrets about signing him to a long-term deal at all there's a lot to like about his game we've seen improvement from his game i don't think his 2018 was as bad as a lot of people say and a lot of analytical people kind of backed me up on that so i i he's he's the guy then that's who they're riding with. I was going to say the one other piece that I wanted to know about Wentz for this game in particular is he's going to be without some weapons, right? We talked about how he's potentially going to be without Alshon Jeffrey. He's going to be potentially without Deshaun Jackson. Is Wentz the kind of guy that you see being in that tier of quarterback that he's going to make the receivers around him better? That he can that he can improve that level of play like like a Peyton Manning or like a Tom Brady? I think so, because I mean, in 2017, he wasn't dealing with really dynamic weapons. He still had Alshon and everything, um, but Alshon was also playing with the with the torn rotator cuff, so he wasn't 100%. Um, Zach Ertz, obviously, is a fantastic security blanket for him, always gets open, and he's still going to be playing. Um, but then uh, on the other side was Torrey Smith, and then you had Nelson Aguilar, whose play has kind of fallen off, or production has kind of fallen off, we're not sure which. So he hasn't always had like fantastic dynamic weapons around him. His rookie year didn't have anybody around him, and there were there were flashes from him and then he kind of hit the rookie wall and and things kind of fell off but i i think with the talent that he has he can elevate the players around him what you're concerned with is how much hero ball he wants to play and if he gets it in his head that it's all on him he can press force and make some mistakes so that's something that i'm interested in seeing in this game particularly Oh, yeah. I, th- I, th- I think Lions fans are too, right, Jeremy? Because I think the last time that Wentz, I mean, came to Detroit, he tried to play hero ball. Press, he tried to press big play slay. And mm-hmm. yeah, that's one person I'm not throwing at, by the way. You can, we can already <laughs> throw that matchup out the window. I'm not throwing at Darius Slay. We don't have Keenan Allen. <laughs> Um, let's move to the offensive line. Cause as, as Ryan mentioned, they, they had a little bit of trouble with that Atlanta front, um, a really talented Atlanta front. So, um, I, I mean, the, this Eagles front five is pretty well regarded and there's some pretty big stars on the list. Is there a weakness there? What do you make of last week's performance? Was that just more the Falcons being good than the, the Eagles being bad or, or is there something going on with the offensive line? 
I think the biggest issue, and for like a running play to work or pass protection to work, all five guys got to do their job, right? Yeah. And, you know, w- with the Eagles, the worst player on their line is Isaac Siamalo. And he, he's, in my opinion, and he played really well week one, mind you, against a good mm-hmm. interior defensive line of the Washington Redskins. Uh, so there's there's a plus there, and I think he's a re- replacement level starter. There's nothing wrong with that. But when you're up against Grady Jarrett, who is yeah. one of the smartest players in the NFL, is going to get the jump on you at the snap with his intelligence, with his first step, with his violent hands, it's going to give you problems. I mean, there's six interior defensive linemen there at the, to me, you're in the top of the league, and Jarrett's like right in that conversation with them. I think while Detroit has a really great front, like I, I saw Ashawn Robinson blitzing off the edge last week and yeah. ended up meeting Romeo Aquara for, for a sack, which was like fascinating to me. This guy's 330 pounds, but I think they're a different type of defensive tackle that have given, you know, the Eagles problems as far as the first step quickness. I think Jarrett's on another level than sure. snacks, a Sean, you know, any of those guys in that area. Mike Daniels is pretty good there though. Uh, yeah. I, I think if anything, where the Lions will have success is because Kelsey's undersized. CMR is still a little bit undersized and he's got some functional strength, strength issues is pressing the pocket, not necessarily beating them, but pressing the pocket, getting interior pressure, not giving room for Carson Wentz to step up and deliver, making him move back. And I think that's where Detroit can have success, even if they don't get any sacks from that interior. And I think that they can have success stopping them in the run game for sure. If they try to run up the middle against them. All right, I think it's time to move on to our prediction segment. Actually, before we get there, I'm just curious about your opinion on the line because the Eagles are favored by seven at the moment. (laughs) That seems a little bit high to me. I mean, obviously, the Eagles are the home team. Obviously, I think most people consider them the better team just on paper and is certainly, you know, going into the season, they were were the more well-regarded team. But seven seem a little high to you? Just a little high? Yeah, I mean, Vegas usually gives, what, like three points for the home team? So they're really saying, you know, they're four points better. I think that's fair. I am not touching touching seven. (laughs) That seems like a bad number. (laughs) Yes. You never never want to touch those sevens when they don't come with a hook or anything like that. (laughs) All right. Now now let's get into our predictions. Ryan, that was me talking about the, the betting aspect. I didn't even let you in. I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. I had to shoo Bavada King 69 out of my apartment because he just started like beating down the door. So, and just from what he said, he was like, I wouldn't put this line any higher than six. So, okay. So, yeah. okay. But, uh, so we're getting into predictions, right? It's the one yes. thing that we think we know yes. about the game. We're staying with that tradition. We are. We are. I know you haven't been here in the first yeah. weeks, but we are sticking with the one thing we think you know where you just give a prediction about the game. It doesn't have to be the prediction of the winner or the score, but if you want to give that, you're more than welcome to. Ryan, since you've been two weeks without one, you're going to kick things off. What's the one thing you think you know about Lions-Eagles this week? One thing I think I know about Lions-Eagles this week is that this game is going to, this game is going to, without a doubt, cover the over. I don't know what the over is off the top of my head, but it's going to cover the over. <laughs> I just have a feeling that this isn't going to be a defensive game. For some reason, I feel like this is going to be a high-scoring game. Mm. No, no rationale. You just get the, the gut feeling. It's what drives me in the rest of my life. So I feel like it's going to take me to good places in in this segment. Okay, I'm gonna, no, figure, out, I'm, I'm gonna figure out what the over is, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna either back down from the thing I think I know, or I'm going to like go full 
full. Like I'm just going to go all in. All right. Well, while you let Bovada King 69 back in the door, let's go over to Michael. Kiss. <laughs> Michael, what's the one thing you think you know about Lions Eagles? So I did this search the other day, and I think the one thing that I really wanted to go with a with a Dillard touchdown on on fourth down as an eligible receiver, but I already used that in week <laughs> one, and I was wrong. So I won't go back to that. But the one thing that I do know is that Matt Patricia will punt twice inside of Eagles territory. I hate you. I hate, uh, you. I hate you so much. Right now. <laughs> so I did, I did the search and I went from the 50 and in, right? And you're looking at enemy territory, fourth and six or closer. The top three coaches in volume in that situation last year, Bill O'Brien, Matt Nagy, and Matt Patricia. The Lions punted in enemy territory with fourth and six or less nine times in 2018. And they've had really bad records in close games and games where they do that. So that's that's where the Eagles have the edge. They did it against Arizona. They ended up tying, <laughs> which is crazy. So... I need that, to. <laughs> I need to know if that's a Patriot Way thing because you just said Bill O'Brien too, but I didn't hear any Bill Belichick in there. So like, no. is that like a Patriot Way thing? I don't know. Well, I don't know if you remember the AFC Championship game from a couple years ago, mm-hmm. and I don't know if it was just because they were playing Bortles, but Belichick punted like four times in weird situations where you think they would go for it. He gets he gets really weird. He's very selective with it, so he's not always a coward, but he's sometimes a coward. I don't. I don't think you have to worry about cowardice when Blake Bortles is lining up on the <laughs> right. The That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very situational. Context matters, as always. <laughs> I I can't even close up the podcast. I'm so mad now. <laughs> is that yeah, a big okay. thing with well, Detroit? Well, media? I mean, I've just always been frustrated with Patricia's conservatism, especially. I mean, with this, there was this timeout usage in the last game that made me mad. But yeah. it's i mean i i've literally talked to him about this and it's just a philosophy that he has and we don't see eye to eye on it and he's not going to change and i'm not going to change so it's something we just have to live together in harmony it's it's crazy because the the math is there and there's also the emotional element to all this when discussing like peterson's aggressiveness showing faith in his team and and that can't be understated when peterson like set the bar for fourth down aggressiveness in 2017 when they didn't make it the defense didn't give up a single scoring drive it was i believe in my offense and my defense will have my back if something goes wrong and i think that really resonates with the players to a degree that i don't think these coaches really kind of take into consideration sure all right the one thing i think i know of this matchup is i think the lions run defense is finally going to bounce back it hasn't been a good first two weeks for them but on paper everything about this matchup seems like it should be okay you were mentioning that the weakness that the of this eagles offensive line might be there on the interior on the on the left side there um, Eagles are only running, rushing for 3.3 yards per carry so far this year. Um, I, I, I don't see this, this Lions run defense being bad forever. I think it's just kind of shaking off the cobwebs. A lot of the guys in those interiors, Mike Daniels, Snacks, didn't get a full offseason. Um, so they're just gaining their feet now, and I think this is a good week for them to bounce back. I agree. That's a good prediction. All right. That's a great prediction. I don't think it's as good of a prediction as taking the over on 45 and a half. <laughs> <laughs> I think that seems kind of low. Maybe. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know if I'd see Andrew Cotto, one of the great writers, film analysts for Pride of Detroit. There's these three levels to betting. It's either bet the car, bet the house, or bet your life. I'm not going to bet my life on it, but like, I think I'd probably bet a house if I had one. I mean, Vegas is saying that's 26 to 19. Then, if you kind of work it out with the spread, yeah. it's, it's yeah. around there. Now, I definitely there. see it hitting the over. Thank there you. you Always bet the over, kids. Don't <laughs> bet the under. Don't be a fun Don't. sucker. Don't be a coward. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be Matt Patricia across the 50-yard line. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> All right, uh, Michael Kiss, thank you for joining us. Why don't you tell the people where they can find you? Because you clearly know your stuff. Where can the people listen, hear, read, tweet at you, angry stuff about your Matt Patricia takes? Yeah, at Michael Kist NFL. Well, that's K-I-S-T. That's on Twitter. Uh, follow at BGN underscore radio. That, that's the Bleeding Green Nation podcast feed Twitter. Uh, you can put in Bleeding Green Nation to any podcast feed pretty much, and it'll come up and you can listen to our, our wonderful takes on there. We have a great network over there, uh, especially if you want to get prepped for this game. We're going to have all we're going to cover this from all different types of angles, including me guesting on, on this show, which I had a really great time. So I appreciate you guys having me on. Oh, no problem at all. I, like I said, appreciate you joining us. And Ryan, I appreciate you coming back, too. Hopefully you can do it again sometime. Mm, maybe if Michael Kiss comes back, because this was fun. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thank you all for listening. Well, you can catch us with the regular POD cast now live on Twitch Sunday nights at 8 p.m. So make sure you, you go to our Twitch page, twitch.tv slash Pride of Detroit. You follow us. You get notifications when we go live. And you can chat with us live during our Pride of Detroit podcast now. It's really exciting. But other than that, we will see you on Sunday. Thanks for listening. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts.